Good morning, and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is a highly controversial one, and for good reason, because it deals with a subject that is the source of much pain, confusion, and misapplication in our world today, and that is the subject of divorce. As we look into God's Word, we will uncover the unresolvable conflict between the dual truths that God hates divorce, and yet God permits divorce. Thanks for worshiping with us today as we study in our next segment on the series from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount entitled, The Spirit of the Law. Well, uh, this past week on Monday, uh, my whole family went over to a friend's house to do some shooting, some target practice shooting. I, like a good youper husband, bought my wife a handgun for our anniversary. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, we are going to go and spend some time just sighting it in, having a good time, uh, shooting down the range. Um, because it is hers, uh, she got to you know put the clip in first and, and take the mark up there. And I'm telling you one thing, do not make my wife upset because she's a crack shot. I mean, just within a dime or a quarter, let's say, at least. I mean, it was incredible. She's a really good shot. And of course, me, who's so humble and without pride, it's fine letting her do all the shooting. No, that's not right. I, I wanted to take a crack, right? I wanted to take a shot at it. And um, finally, without ha- having uh, too much whining on my part, I, I picked up the gun, took aim, pow, first shot, uh, about three, three inches off to the left. Now, that's a little humbling, right as your first shot, right? Mr. Fancy Pants, know-it-all, you know, you know tough guy that I am. Uh, you got a couple of responses in that moment, right? So uh, I, I, could, uh, I could say, oh, I meant to hit there. That's, that's, that's really where I was aiming, right? Well, that would be a lie. Um, or I could say, um, you know, that, that's, that's the new bullseye. That's the spot I should be aiming at, which would be kind of cheating. Or I, I could whine. It's too hard. It's too hard. To, to hit the bullseye, right? There's a, there's a couple of responses that I could have done, right? What's the right response? The, the right response when you miss the bullseye Oops. is to admit it and then look down the sights, make adjustments, and try again. That's the right response. It's not whining about it that somehow you're coming up with excuses like it's too hard. It's not saying, oh, well, that's going to be the actual spot we're supposed to hit. And so you change what the bullseye is and you don't lie about it and say, well, I I meant to do that to begin with. No, you say, I was wrong. That was a mistake. That was an error. I should have I should have hit the bullseye and I missed. And so instead, I'm going to make adjustments. I'm going to recalibrate and then look down the sights. I'm going to try again. I use that as a, probably the best metaphor, in fact, what the Bible gives for sin in our lives. Uh, sin in the Old Testament is a word that literally means to miss the bullseye. That's what the word means. However, in our world, instead of admitting that it's wrong, instead of admitting that it should have had corrections, uh, many people in our world today have simply either said, well, that's what I was aiming at, or they make excuses like it's too hard anyways. Or they readjust to move the goalposts to mix metaphors and say that this is now the new standard. 
divorce is a very difficult, difficult subject. I, I can't remember the last time I had so much uh, time put into a sermon. It is just two verses this morning. You know, we're just continuing through Matthew. We're just going to do the very next section that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew chapter 5. Thank goodness it's only two verses, but um, it has been an incredible amount of study on my part. And I want to, I want to pull my preaching voice down just a little bit and humble myself before the church this morning because I need to proceed with caution. And here's why. Divorce is very painful for many people. In fact, I have heard in my time in ministry that there are some people who will not go back to church because of the pastor's stance on divorce. And they feel that when they come that there is some kind of anger or judgment that God levels over them through the minister such that they don't feel welcome. And divorce is an issue within the church that literally splits families. Because after you go through something so painful like that, very regularly, those individuals do not come and worship together any longer. So I want to I really be careful here to proceed with caution. Uh, secondly, I want to proceed with caution because in my study of this, I have found that there is a little consensus. In fact, what I, what I have discovered is, dependent upon who you listen to on this subject you will find a myriad of answers, a myriad of options. And what I think that's determinative of is that we really desire to find in the Bible what we want to find. I really don't want to find what necessarily is there if it's going to bring a little bit of conviction to my heart. I'd rather find what I'm looking to find. And so as I have done study on this, even very respected men, preachers who I listen to regularly have come to different conclusions than the ones that I have come to. In fact, I want to give you the the options here. So categories when it comes to divorce. First of all, some people think divorce is commanded by God, uh, that you can divorce for any reason, and then you're free to remarry. I, I I want you to know this is the farthest end of what we would call a liberal spectrum on the teaching of divorce. That, that it's commanded by God, any reason that you have, and then you're free to remarry. Uh, as we move, move towards what's more of a conservative uh, approach on it, uh, some believe that it's commanded for any reason, but you're not allowed to remarry. Other uh, preachers will say, well, it's commanded only for exceptions. There's only a few cases where it's allowed, and then you can remarry. Others say, well, you can divorce for this reason or, you know, a couple exceptions, but then you can't remarry anybody. And then other people will say, actually, the Bible doesn't give any command to get a divorce. So I'm going to show my cards at the beginning here. Uh, This is the the solution. This is the answer that I believe God's word has to say. There is no command that God gives for divorce, to get a divorce. And so remarriage is not even on the table with this fifth fifth option. Now, I'm laying my cards out right there, uh, right there on the table. And um, at this point, there's maybe some of you who think that you'd like to walk out. And that'd be okay. I understand that. Maybe some folks in their cars that are like, let's see what other preachers are on the radio this morning. um, I want to ask just in humility that you hear me out. Uh, Let us get to the end on this and give me the chance to provide the full teaching for what the Bible has to say on this. 
Um, and then I also want to say that there is room in the body of Christ to disagree over this, but I'm going to give you my best conviction as to what God's word says. And that's not easy for me because I know we have folks in our church who've been divorced. Divorce rate is uh, equal in the church as it is outside of the church. Almost half of Americans have experienced divorce. In fact, I just like to say a little interaction this morning by show of hands that you have been impacted by divorce. Maybe not necessarily in your life, but in a family's life, uh, someone that you know, uh, someone that you love. Yeah, I'd say we have well over half the hands go up here that divorce is something that's extremely prevalent in our world today so with all of that uh and showing my cards here at the beginning um i I hope you give me the chance just to to walk through this with you and uh, that we together can see what god's word has to say so with that let's look together matthew chapter 5 just two quick verses again as we've been studying what i've entitled a series called the spirit of the law uh, jesus is correcting False teaching. Make sure that, don't get this wrong. Jesus is not giving a new law. Jesus is not reinterpreting God's law. He is correcting false teaching. So this is why he says, you've heard that it's said, but I say, every time he says, you've heard that it's said, he's he's not just referencing the law so that he's giving his own interpretation of it. He's referencing the false teaching that's coming from the law so that he can correct it. That's what we're going on here. And four things that as we've studied this that we see from it is that we have to understand that it's, it's not just the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law that Jesus gets to. It's not just your actions as though you were proven righteous by your actions. Your heart and your motives matter. Uh, thirdly, it's not that you just have a set of prohibitions that you keep from doing. But the true law was given that you would have positive spiritual growth in your life. And then fourthly, um, the true, true obedience to the law will actually help you to know God. So if, if you're doing it right, if you're, if you're seeking to obey the law correctly, it will give you insight and understanding to know God better. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now you would think... (laughs) With two short verses, this would be pretty straightforward. Um, But again, for reasons that I think are well-intentioned, many people have sought to interpret this in a way that gives permissions that I don't believe the text offers. So as we look through this, we have to begin. The place I want us to begin is with what Jesus is addressing. So in verse 31, he says, uh, it has been said, and then he's going to quote their teaching on it that actually comes from the book of Deuteronomy. So let's go back and read that. So I'm going to invite you, hold your spot here in Matthew and turn in your Bible all the way back to Deuteronomy. So fifth book in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24. If someone has a pew Bible, they can shout out the number, page number. There you go. 
281. Thank you. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. This is what the Pharisees were hearing, and this is what... Uh, This is what Jesus is going to be correcting from their teaching on it. So here it is. This is what they heard in the law. Everybody ready? Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man, And her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then let her first husband who divorced, then, sorry, verse four, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. All right, so here here is where their teaching comes from. There's a few other passages that just for sake of time we want to get into to cover it all. By the way, I'm trying to do about three hours worth of teaching in 40 minutes, so we're going to pack it in as tight as we can this morning. But these these four verses are what Jesus is referencing for the Pharisees' false teaching. In fact, you'll see it right there in verse 1. He says that he needs to write her a certificate of divorce. Now, the first time when I read this, um, I thought, oh, this is giving the conditions for divorce, right? What, what was the condition the man could divorce his wife for? If he finds something wrong with her, something displeasing, right? She uh, burns the toast, Right, that was enough. Yeah, you know, I put up with burnt toast long enough. Here, scribble, scribble. You're good. Right. Um, in fact, you actually have some teachings in the Middle East. Islamic law follows this that you can divorce your wife for any and every reason. Um, uh, what we have here in the Hebrew, the word that's used is in it's referencing more of like sexual impurity is more of the context. But here's the problem: uh, in the ancient world, you had divorce happening willy-nilly, for just any reason. And this, this is a little bit off my notes here, but this is why this is so, so terrible. The building of society is made upon the bricks of the family. And what is the glue that holds the family together? It's not parent to child. It's husband to wife. And so if you want to erode society, you put your, your uh, uh, crosshairs dead between the relationship of a husband and a wife. Anyone who has gone through a divorce knows this experientially on how hard and difficult it can be in, a, in a, going through that. So that, that's one of the main problems is that in the ancient world, divorce was happening all the time. Um, so this is not, it is actually not giving you a reason for divorce, uh, nor is it offering you what some people think is the procedure for divorce. Because that, that was the second time I read this. All right, so you want to get a divorce, so what do you do? Well, go read the law. What's it say you do? You have to you have to write her a certificate. That's not the purpose of this either. Both of those, hear me now, I'm, I'm going to repeat these because we're going to see it repeated in the New Testament. Both of those reasons were exactly what the Pharisees were reading this for. Number one, what can I divorce my wife for? And number two, what's the procedure if I want to? That's the way they read this. But that is not at all what God is saying. In fact, if you were to read it 
I want to say in Hebrew, but in English, you can even get this, is that it's a string of clauses leading to something. I'm getting, I'm getting a little technical. I don't want to lose you on this. All right. It's a string of ifs, if, if, if a bunch of conditions that lead to a conclusion. So let me just draw your attention back one more time, because we got to understand this properly if we're going to know what Jesus is saying about it. If a man marries a woman, displeasing on and on, and so where you see that conjunction, you could insert that uh, interrogative again. If you, you could insert that again. And if he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives her and send, and if he sends her from his house, verse two, and if after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another, and if her second husband displeases and likes her, I'll be honest, when I read this a couple more times, I was like, what's wrong with this lady? What? Why does everybody keep divorcing her? So that was that thought came and left. But okay, so we have a bunch of ifs, ifs, ifs until you get to verse four. Because what's the word that starts verse four? Say it loud. Then this is the result. And the whole purpose of this passage is not to give you the requirements to get a divorce. It's not to give you the procedure to give a, get a divorce. It's to teach you the importance of marriage so that men are not able to just divorce a wife or that women aren't allowed to divorce their husband for just any old reason, justifying it, saying, yeah, I wrote him a slip of paper, got taken care of, it's done properly. Because if you go through all those motions, say you think you're justified in it, think, say you think you did it in a valid manner, you still are prohibited from remarrying because God takes it so seriously. God takes marriage so seriously that we in our world today have missed. So a few observations on this. Number one, uh, this passage in Deuteronomy is given to prevent the abuse of the individual and the abuse of divorce. The wife here is uh, mentioned specifically so that she, as she's sent out, is not allowed to be abused. It's to protect her. Now, it's not only to protect her, but it's to protect this practice of divorce and put regulations around the practice so that in the Middle East, it's not just happening rampant everywhere, but now we actually have God speaking to the matter of it. Now, here's, here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to flip back and forth for a little bit, so hold your spot here. Go back to Matthew. Now, I know God gave you 10 fingers. We're going to use three of them this morning. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. This was the passage that Peggy read for us in our New Testament reading because I want to point out to you how the Pharisees were reading this wrong. Again, they're reading, Matthew, or they're reading Deuteronomy 24. This is what they bring to Jesus' attention in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. 
But this was not, but it was not this way from the beginning. I'm going to ask for a volunteer here. Um, Don and Lois, I'm going to ask to be my helpers. So here's a sheet of paper for each of you. Lois, I'd like you to draw a stick woman. Picture of a stick woman. You're going to be a picture of a stick man. Now use the page. Make it good and large. They're going to <clears throat> take care of that. I want, I want you to see here that when we're talking about divorce, it's not something that's commanded. But that was the question. That's what they were asking. Right? Why did Moses command? I want you to pay attention to Jesus' reply because he doesn't use the word command. He says that he's permitting divorce to happen. We're going to see that uh, as we look at it, verse 8 is what gives us the reason. You guys see it in verse 8? Because your hearts were hard. Moses permitted this to happen, but it was not this way from the beginning. We got it ready, ladies? All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, Lois, very good. Very attractive here, right? Look at, look at this hobo, right? I mean, all right. We're, we're going we're gonna to see if we can pay attention to what Jesus is outlining here. Because when he says, what was it from the beginning? He said that a man will do what to his mother and father? Leave. Leave. And be joined to his wife. So I got a little bit of super glue right here. This is going to be our, our marriage ceremony. I'm just going to, you're just going to place a little bit around here on the paper. Right? Because I'm starting off with how many pieces? I'm starting off with two pieces. All right, it's a little PG here. Don't get, don't worry. <laughs> As the man and the woman come together, if I do this right, I no longer have two, but what? That was just one piece of paper. This is God's design with marriage. This was the whole idea from the beginning. And it's something, by the way, again, a three-hour three message just tidy up here. I'm throwing out so many things I wish I could say. We'll come back to it another time. Bad week to cancel Bible study, too, I want to say. All right, so I want you to see the first thing here is that what God gave in Deuteronomy was regulations for the purpose of preventing abuse, both within the family, so that now we are giving a permission, not a command, but a permission for divorce, because you live in a, a cursed world. D- divorce is a reality, folks. It really is. I, at one point, believed that divorce was always to be 100% avoided very early on in my ministry. I think I'm, I'm gleaning God's heart correctly from the Bible. In fact, one other passage that was out of Malachi says that God hates divorce, but he permits it? Why does he permit it? Because there's a lot of pain in a lot of marriages that he's going to allow for something he actually hates. And so I, in my own ministry, have seen there is a very real and necessary time for divorce. That's why God permits it. But it doesn't make it good. It's something that he allows. And he allows it because of sin in our world. But it was not that way from the beginning. Secondly, I want you to see that from this passage, it's meant to protect the future treatment of the spouse who leaves. Right. So um, he is supposed to send her away. Uh, here again, uh, verse 1, with a certificate of divorce. Sometimes that wouldn't happen. If that didn't happen, if the, the woman was just sent out of the house, 
First of all, you need to understand the penalty for adultery. Does anyone know what it is? Is death. Yeah, and so she could find herself subject to the realm of public opinion to stone her, put her to death, thinking she's an adulteress, unless she brought their certificate that shows, no, I'm, I'm really not a harlot here. I, I have been divorced. And so it's, a, in a way, helping to protect her from uh, uh, being abused uh, beyond this. The other reasons is that it shows a certificate. It formalizes the solemnness of divorce. And then lastly, it helps to take marriage seriously. Remember what was happening in the ancient world where divorces all over the place, all the time, the certificate helped to formalize that. Thirdly, it prohibits any further sin. So uh, in taking uh, divorce very seriously, uh, the man who divorced his wife and sent her away decides later on he wants to remarry her, but now he is prohibited from that because of why? Well, the Bible uses a word that's, it's kind of a hurtful word, word says that she has been defiled. Boy, we don't talk like that much today. Our, our picture of um, the role of men and women is very changed from uh, the ancient world. Sometimes for really good reasons, but sometimes we lose such valuable things that we're um, held to, that we, that we miss them. The, the man here is going to, by taking his wife back, he will be establishing a union with her that she has now defiled with someone else because they consummated a union that was with invalid grounds for divorce. And so here we have it's prohibiting any further sin. Number four, it's promoting the sanctity of marriage. If you are still in Matthew 19, if you jump down uh, verses in verse 9 and 10, I have it up here on the screen as well. Um, he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Verse 10, the disciple said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Uh, did I hear an amen on that? I, didn't, I don't know if I heard an amen on that. Uh, verse 11, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word. So what I'm trying to show you is, as I'm preaching to you, that this is, a, this is a heavy teaching. This is a severe thing. Jesus says the same thing. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. The one who can accept it should accept it. Um, I, I had a good 20 more minutes to cover on this that I'm going to just toss aside. Uh, just really briefly, it has to do with a response we see in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. Uh, to summarize it for you, Jose is commanded by God to marry a prostitute, an adulteress. And sure enough, she, she leaves Jose and goes and, and lives the life of a harlot. In verse 1 of chapter 3, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. And then in Jeremiah, uh, we have this verse. This is God speaking to his people. He says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce. This is, a, this is a tough passage. This says that God actually divorces Israel and sends her away because of her adulteries. But if you read a little bit further, verse 14, this is God speaking to Israel again. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. 
So this is a very short summary of saying that the biblical perspective is that if you're broken up, the heart, if you're going to follow the pattern of God, should be to try to reconcile. Should be to try to offer forgiveness and come back together. I'm, again, folks, I know this is very hard to hear. So that's Deuteronomy 24. You can turn now back to Matthew 5. And now I'm going to deal with some of the problems uh, that are uh, sometimes called exceptions. In fact, if you study this, they have something called the exception clause that's found here in Matthew 5. So look with me once more. Matthew 5, verse 31. It's been said, anyone who divorces wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, comma, except for marital unfaithfulness. Now, this shows up here, right? This is the verse that we read here in the new um, uh, NIV. It says, except for sexual immorality, it has an exception clause. This shows up again in Matthew, in Matthew 19. We just read it a moment ago in verse 9. I tell you, anyone that divorces his wife, comma, except, it's, it seems like there is this insertion when it comes to divorce that somehow there is a valid form of divorce. You will have preachers tell you that. I think it's incorrect. And I want to tell you why. I want, to, I want to explain to you why I think these exceptions are not what you think they are. They're not exceptions. They're written for a different reason. And let me build my argument out for you on that just very briefly. The first is because this isn't the only place we find this in the Synoptic Gospels. In Mark, Jesus says the same thing. Let's see what he says here. Mark 10, 11 and 12. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. What's missing? Do you see that the, the exception clause is missing from this? It's not there. Why would Mark take it out and Matthew put it in? And let's examine the one in Luke. Same thing in Luke. Luke says, Luke 16, 18. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, comma, what, what should we be expecting there? An exception clause, but it's missing. So here's the question. Why does Matthew put it in and the other gospel writers leave it out? There's a a second thing that before I give you the answer to that, that we have to pay attention to. And it has to do with the word that's used. Now, sometimes when this is taught, it's it's, it's phrased with adultery. So you can divorce your spouse if they commit adultery. That has been many the teaching. But this word is not the word for adultery. It, in fact, is the word pornea. And in Greek, it's an umbrella term that speaks of any illicit sexual activity. In fact, in all the versions for this particular verse, it's rendered in these various ways, except for immorality, except for marital unfaithfulness, except for the reason of unchastity, except for the grounds of sexual immorality, unless she has been unfaithful, except for sexual immorality. That's what the word is. And I want to give you what I believe is the answer to this, why it's not actually an exception. I believe that what Matthew is doing is he's recording Jesus referencing sexual activity before marriage. And this was something that we miss today, but was a practice in the um, ancient world. So a man and a woman could be together and they're dating or whatever, right? But there comes a moment where they are now the betrothed, right? This is, what, what word do we have for that in our world today? We say that they are engaged, In the ancient world, that was perceived as a kind of union already. It's not a sexual union, but it's one where these two are now for the course of a year sometimes going to be exclusive with one another 
And one of the things that you can do, rightly in that culture, if things don't go well, is you can divorce. So divorce in that culture wasn't just something that happened after you said the I do's. Divorce was something that could come just when you're engaged. And I think the reason why Matthew puts this in here is because he's recording the story of the nativity with Mary and Joseph. Do you remember the story? Mary comes to Joseph and she's found to be what? With child. And Joseph, the text says, being a righteous man, did not want to bring public disgrace upon her, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to do what? Were they married at this point? They they weren't married because they had no sexual union. We know that because she's called the what Mary? The Virgin Mary, yeah. So they're married culturally in that sense, but divorce is still an option. And I believe that's exactly what is happening here in Matthew's gospel. When he says, because you don't see it in Mark and you don't see it in Luke, Matthew's gospel is the only gospel that records Joseph's intention to divorce Mary because what did Joseph think? Happened to Mary. He thought that she was out there and, and engaging with another man. She's pregnant. What do you, what do you think happened? Right? And Mary's the one and uh, the, the angel here to come in to speak to Joseph and clarify the thing. Um, but that's why I believe it's happening. As Jesus says that you, anyone who divorces a woman except for pornea, except for the case where there is this Marital unfaithfulness during the time before the actual union. Which means it's not really an exception as we tend to think of it today. Now there's one other passage and I'm going to work as quick as I can through this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul gives a teaching that says, If two people are unequally yoked, meaning one is a Christian and one is not a Christian, here's the situation. If the non-believer is willing to stay married to the believer... Don't get a divorce. Stay married. But if the unbeliever wants to get away, he says you can let them go. He says that you are not bound in those circumstances. Here's the verse, verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in the King James. It says enslaved in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. The question that many people leave as an exception here, not for divorce, but for remarriage to say, well, now can they go and get married to somebody else? But do you remember what the text says? What, what did Jesus say here in Matthew 5? I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for pornea, causes her to become an adulteress. It's the remarriage that then commits adultery. And anybody who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So is this saying there's an exception for that? And I don't think it is. And here's the reason. Number one, enslaved is not referring to singleness. Enslaved is being enslaved in a union that has abuse in it. The unbeliever doesn't want to stay married. They're unequally yoked. Paul says, that's like enslavement. You're you're not bound. You're not enslaved. You You can divorce that person because God wants us to live in peace. But the enslavement is not to live in singleness. That's not enslavement, to live in singleness. In fact, the Apostle Paul repeatedly will encourage people to be single. Not because he thinks it's... As a, as a kind of enslavement. The enslavement here is, has to do with the union. Secondly, if you look at verse 11, there's a very clear teaching that if you get divorced, 
you are to remain unmarried. And so here, just to have it on the screen for you, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And thirdly, the contextual principle from chapter 7 teaches, and this is the same thing Jesus teaches in the beginning, male and female, what God has joined together, let what? Let man not separate. And here we have it. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but, she must, but he must belong to the Lord. You can reverse the he and the she here too, right? This goes both ways for men and women. But it has to do with remarriage. And so because of this, I do not believe the exceptions mean what many preachers are making them out to mean. Okay, I don't, this is getting long. You guys are doing good. Hang it with me here. Let, let, me, let me just rush through our final conclusions. So from Matthew 5, here's what we found in our study. Marriage is a permanent, one flesh commitment for life. That's what it is. Secondly, remarriage outside of the death of the spouse, spouse will result in adultery. Let me define that for you very quickly. Adultery here is the breaking of your vow. If you stood and said to the person in the presence of God and witnesses, I will until what? death does us part, but you don't keep your word on that, even for good intentions, that's called adultery is what that is. But if they die, isn't that what you said? I'd be faithful to you until death. So yeah, outside of death, it will result in adultery. And this is what Jesus teaches as well. Thirdly, divorce is not a command. It is a painful permission because of sinfulness. And I don't want anybody here to really take that as like I'm pointing the finger at you because you're sinful. It's not you. It's the whole situation. It's the whole world. Because sin is in our world, God has permitted divorce. Now, I've already said that the exceptions aren't really exceptions. I think there's a lot of reasons why somebody should get a divorce. I think there's a lot of reasons. And I think as a pastor, those need to be dealt with individually. I don't think you can just say, it's this reason, always, all the time. I think what you have to do is you have to sit and you have to listen. And in some cases, I have even personally advocated for divorce. And in other cases, I have advocated against divorce, depending upon the situation and what was going on. I also have been a pastor who have remarried people to different people having been divorced. Doesn't that sound like what you're preaching against? Yeah, but God did what? He allows for this. He has made permission for this. It's not, that doesn't make it good. That doesn't make it, yeah, it, this is what he had in mind from the garden. This is what he ought. No, this is not how it's supposed to work. But this is something that God has allowed. Lastly, the necessary remedy for divorce is forgiveness. Now, there's two ways I want you to look at this. It's a forgiveness and a reconciliation that causes those two who have been separated to come back together again. That's the remedy for it. But even if you don't come back together, and many times you shouldn't, in cases where I've had to deal with um, domestic problems, right? Get divorced and be done with each other. This This was a terrible idea. And then those people have gotten remarried to people, and I see godly marriages that should have been this way from the beginning. Hear me now you still need to forgive that other person. You still need to reconcile 
with that other person. That doesn't necessarily mean you get married again or come together again, but from your heart, you forgive them and you let that be in the past. And so for application, let me, let me wrap this up. I want to speak to three different categories of people. First, to the married. You need to take your vows very seriously. You just take, take your vows very seriously. And secondly, you need to do everything possible to prevent divorce. I had um, at least 40 minutes of statistics planned to show you that show the damage that divorce does to families. So look it up on your own. It ain't, ain't hard. You probably heard many of these already, but just do everything you can. You got my phone number. Let's talk, right? If, if there's a problem going on, and I guarantee you there is, every set in a marriage is made of two sinners. So I guarantee you're going to have problems. Now, hopefully you're able to handle those by God's will and uh, forgive one another. But if there's problem and friction there, bring someone in and let's, let's do everything possible to keep it from leading to a divorce. But sometimes it needs to. Sometimes divorce is exactly what God has planned, even though he doesn't rightly wish it. He hates it. I have seen some cases where it's exactly what needs to happen. So if that's you, you need to pursue reconciliation and forgiveness with your ex. And then you need to depend daily in God's strength to remain single. Because that's ultimately what you're left with. And hopefully, if you pursue that as best as you can, you will find a way to be reconciled to that person. And God will be praised from it. But maybe that's not what God has in mind. Maybe that marriage was just such a wreck and irreparable um, that it needs to be done with. And you have someone else, God has someone else in mind for you. So to the divorced and the remarried, don't, don't break off your second marriage. Don't leave church today being like, well, now we got to break off because pastor said, no, your, your marriage is valid. In fact, this is what we find taught in the New Testament. Um, Jesus, do you remember? He comes to the woman at the well and he says, uh, go fetch your husband. And she's like, I got no husband. And he says, ah, you're right. In fact, you have had, do you remember the story? Five husbands. Now, Jesus doesn't call those illegitimate. He recognizes those as legitimate marriages. They were husbands. So we, we have a pattern that shows a, a vow that you take is binding. By the way, that's next Sunday's message. We're going to talk about vows next Sunday. But what I want you to know is don't break off your second marriage. Um, but do this. Be honest with yourself don't take aim and because you missed the bullseye be like well that's where I was aiming anyways or it's fine that I hit there no say you know <laughs> there, I made some mistakes there were some things that went wrong and I need to look down the sights again and I need to take another shot at this and try to hit the bullseye the way that I should so repent confess your wrongs from your past and leave them where I, I want to thank you all for tracking with me. I'm, I'm at my past my 40 minute mark on this message, but don't let me don't let me lose you in the last two. So many Christians need to learn how to put the past in the past, and unless you reconcile with those things, you're going to keep reliving them. So just deal with them and leave them there. God wants you and has a glorious future for you to move on beyond this. And so I want to conclude this morning with a story from the New Testament. It's from John chapter 8. I'm done after this, folks. There's nothing left here. So John chapter 8. 
Um, it's a passage that I don't preach on very often because of the way textually it, it has floated down through uh, the manuscripts. But in John chapter 8, we have a story. If you're there with me, I'm going to read. I invite you to follow along. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I have the rest up here on the screen. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The oldest ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and sin no more. Over the past two Sundays, I expect every one of us to be leveled with the charge of adultery. Whether you've had divorce in your life or you recognize that lust is a product sometime presently or in the past, the Bible says adultery, guilty of overjudgment. What's the penalty again for adultery? Is death. This is a message, and what Jesus is doing in correcting what the Pharisees were falsely teaching uh, was to correct so that they would understand what marriage and divorce are really doing. You see, because here's the reality. When it comes to divorce, we have, ah, right? It, it was one, but those that God made one, men have had to try to separate. And this is what happens. This is what happens when we go through the process of divorce. There's scars that are left behind because God never intended it to be together and then torn apart again. This was never part of God's plan. And we want to avoid this at all costs. In the, in the ancient world, it happened willy-nilly all the time. And Jesus has to correct them to say, it was not meant to be that way. That's the first thing that I want us to understand this morning. And then lastly, I want us to be of the type of people who are willing to confess. Hear me now, this is is the end. We're all guilty of missing the target. We all are. So the question is, what do you do when you miss the center of the bullseye? What do you do? Do you whine about it? Do you cheat? Do you lie? Or do you say, I was a little bit off. Maybe I was a lot off. I'm going to try once more, look down the rails. I'm going to try to hit the bullseye again. By God's help, we will be able to do that. Let's pray this morning.